0: So we spent New Year's in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, cheering on my TCU football team, and uh, we had a great time. We came back on, on Monday, and now we're gonna go back out there tonight and try to cheer them on again for one more game. There's a lot of Georgia folks in this sanctuary. This was on my chair when I got here this morning. <laughs> Don't know who left that, but I didn't appreciate it. But, that bulldog has nothing on this blazer, though, is what I'm going to say. And anybody whose fans bark for the entire, thank you, okay. Anybody whose fans bark for the entire game, you, you guys need to think about that, okay? I was there listening to you last year in Indianapolis. Um, if you had asked me a few months ago if my college would be in the national championship, I would have told you, no way, we're not that good. And yet here we are life is full of surprises, right? Good and bad. We never know what's coming. We never know what's going to happen. Sometimes when one door closes, another door opens. And and we learn to to celebrate that and, and give thanks for that. I want to begin the new year like I always do with two very simple questions for you to reflect upon. The first is, can you name two things that you learned last year in 2022? That you learned through a situation, that you learned through a hard Uh, Situation, or just in general. And the second question is, can you name three priorities that you have for the new year in 2023? Uh, Our church has named three and it's leadership empowerment. We want to pour into our leaders. That's what we're doing on Wednesday night. Uh, The second thing is growth. We want to grow deeper, more spiritually. And that also leads to growth in numbers. And we'll figure out where to put everybody over time. And and the third thing uh, is mission. And that's why we have this ministry fair this morning is to show all the different ways that Woodmont serves this community and gives back. And we want you to be a part of that. Now, I also will share with you three lessons that I learned last year. And I'm, again, I'm asking you to do the same thing, write your answers down on your bulletin. The first is that my college football team is a lot better than I thought. That's the one I learned. The second is life moves fast. Kids grow up, parents get older relationships change nothing ever stays the same life moves fast and change is constant and we have to learn how to a- a- adapt to change which often involves loss by the way and the third lesson that I learned is that life is fragile we are not promised tomorrow so we have to live every day to the fullest uh, I lost some really close friends this past year year in this church and in this community. Looking out, I know some of you lost some very close friends this last year, and so we cannot take life for granted. We have to make sure that we're living every day to the fullest. Today, we're starting a new series called Starting Over, Uh, Back to the Basics. I think the new year is is, is a time to start over. It's a time to regroup, to refocus, to to go back to the core commitments that we know should be at the, the center of our lives. Uh, I'm also recommending a book by a guy named Peter Scazzaro, for those of you that like to read extra books. It's called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. If you're looking for something in your devotional time, we have them at Spire Books. You can get it on the internet. But in this book, he basically says that you cannot grow as a follower of Christ if you don't also pay attention to the state of your emotional well-being. And he marries those two together, and I think that that's really, really important. In Matthew 7... At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about two builders. He says, the first one built his house on rock. And when the rains fell and the winds blew and the, 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 the beat against it, the house stood because it was built on rock, a solid foundation. But the second builder, he says, built his house on shifting sand. And when the rains fell and the winds blew and it beat against that house, it fell and great was its fall. So what's the lesson here? The lesson is we are called to build our lives on Jesus Christ and his teachings. He is our guide, he is our foundation, and that will get us through the difficult times. Not if, but when they come. So today I'm asking you, what is the foundation upon which you're building your life? What are your core beliefs? What are your convictions? What's most important to you? What are you putting into place to withstand the storms of life? And, and I think that every time we begin a new year, this is a time to, to ask these questions and, and, and revisit them. So I'm gonna begin this series with what's become a tradition where I'm gonna share with you some of my core beliefs this morning, and I'm gonna encourage you to think about your own. They might be the same, you might add something, you might tweak something, but, but that's what I wanna to do to begin this series starting over. First and foremost, I believe in God. I've always believed in God, and I think I always will believe in God. Now, does that mean that I've never questioned God or challenged God or been upset or angry with God? Absolutely not. We all go through times when we question and doubt God. It's part of being human. It's part of being honest. It's part of struggling with the things that come our way in life. Uh, We go through times when we get upset and angry, but as we grow older hopefully we can all grow to a deeper understanding of who God is and how we can connect with God and be grounded in God. Harold Kushner, famous rabbi, once said, God is not just a man who lives in the sky. Uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick, New York preacher, people come in and say, you know, uh, Dr. Fosdick, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. Uh, It just doesn't make sense to me. And he'd say, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And they would start talking about it. He'd say, you know, I don't think I believe in that kind of God either. A master puppeteer, inflicting pain on some people but not on others. We have to move and grow to a deeper understanding of God. G.K. Chesterton once said, when people stop believing in God, it's not that they believe in nothing. It's that they believe in anything and everything. Frederick Nietzsche once predicted that Western culture would turn to money as their God. And for a lot of people, that's true. Money is their God. They turn to money for their security, and they worship money. But I I believe that God is is much bigger than anything we can comprehend. I believe in a God of love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness as revealed to us in the New Testament. I believe that God is the eternal home of the human soul. And St. Augustine once said, Lord, you've created us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I don't believe in a God who's just up there or out there somewhere, but a God who is everywhere, right here, right now, in this place. In Acts 17, it says it's in God that we live and move and have our being. There's no place where we can go where God isn't, because God is like the air we breathe. Uh, God is the breath of life. God is within us and all around us. Because I believe in God, the next thing that I'll say is that I also believe in love. 1 John says, God is love and those who love are born of God and know God. Those who do not love do not know God for God is love. I believe that our world needs more love and less anger and fear. Love holds everything together in life. We have to remind ourselves that God is calling us to love each other. And not to hurt each other. Yes, we do hurt each other. And sometimes we don't mean to hurt each other. But God is calling us to love each other. And a big part of that is learning what it means and what it looks like to overcome fear in our lives. Because there is too much fear in this world. Paul says this about love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. And you can't do anything in life that's worthwhile without loving, without sacrificing, without putting other people, other people first. Next, as a minister trained in the Reformed tradition, I went to Princeton Seminary I believe in Jesus Christ, God's son, our Lord and Savior, Karl Barth, John Calvin. Those are the guys that had a big impact on my theology. And I wholeheartedly believe that that in Jesus Christ, God's son, God brings forgiveness and liberation and reconciliation and new life into a broken and fractured world. Now, being a Christian means much more than just believing in Jesus We are called to follow and emulate Jesus. That's what we're talking about on Wednesday nights. We have to know Christ on a personal level. Christ has to change our hearts, change our emotions, transform us. If we wanna become more like Christ, then we cultivate what we talked about this fall, the fruit of the spirit, named in Galatians five, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the marks of, of a true disciple. Those are the marks of true faith. Next, because I believe in Jesus Christ, I also believe in the church, the community of believers. And I believe with all my heart that the church is called to be missional. The church is called to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. Uh, The church is not just a place or a building. We got this beautiful building with this huge steeple, but the church is made up of people. It's you. It's me. There are churches that meet in malls. There's churches that meet in houses. The church is people. The youth group is people. That's what makes it up. It's it's always been clear that that there is a direct correlation between a family's active involvement in the church and their mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. Research has proven this. Marriages are stronger. When you're involved in the church, families are closer. The rates of divorce and depression and suicide are lower. It doesn't mean that people in the church don't have problems. We all have our problems. But it means that the church gives us support and guidance that we need. My grandfather, who started a church down in Fort Lauderdale, my uncle still pastors it, he always said that the church brings the best friendships in life, lifelong friendships. And I learned that when I was young, and now I've found that in my 40s to be incredibly true. You make some of the best friends that you'll ever have in your life right here in this church, and we all can experience that. Now, the church is not perfect. It's not led by perfect people. We're human, we're not perfect. We don't always agree with each other. But I will tell you this, if you invest in the church, if you volunteer and commit in the church, If you give back and and you you make the effort to be in worship and be in a small group and be in a ministry or a mission of some sort, you will reap the reward of that and your life will be more meaningful and more filled with joy. Next, as a Christian, I believe in the Bible, which is God's word. Uh, The Bible provides the foundation for wisdom in our lives. Now, I don't worship the Bible. I worship God. I'm not a fundamentalist because academically, I see some glaring inconsistencies with that particular approach to scripture. However, I don't believe in just throwing scripture out when it's not convenient. We have to wrestle with the text. It's through the Bible that we come to know God and Jesus. Stephen Prothero, a professor up at Boston University, once said, you know, many Christians in our country say that they really believe in the Bible. They they think the Bible's important. The Bible speaks God's truth but they never read the Bible. So for a book that's so important to so many people, then why don't we spend more time reading and studying and reflecting upon the words that we find I think Carl Barth was right when he said that you can approach every day with a, a, a Bible in one hand and, and a newspaper in the other. And I don't care if it's the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the Dispatch or whatever, you can look and see what's going on in our world and then turn to scripture and you can find answers uh, that God gives us as to how we can deal with that. Next, certainly of the utmost importance, I believe in the power of prayer, which by the way, includes confession and forgiveness. For us as Christians, prayer is the means through which we communicate with God. And remember, communication means both talking and listening. And it's through prayer that we forgive others and we ask for forgiveness ourselves. Now, prayer is a mystery. We don't understand exactly how it works, but what I do know is that when I pray on a regular basis and when I slow down and when I reflect, something happens. I feel calmer. I feel more centered. And so many of the things that we pray for uh, will actually come into fruition. And I think the real secret to prayer is not to look at it as some escape or some means to get out of a situation, but as a way to cope and deal with all the different stresses that we face in our lives on a, on a regular basis. And there are many. Um, I, I think that God, God's telling us you know, through prayer, we can find the strength that we can't find on our own. And so we should not necessarily ask God for lighter loads, but ask God for stronger backs. And only those who pray on a regular basis will feel this power and, and, and this sense of strength. Next, I believe in marriage, home, and family life. You know, I got a 12 year old daughter, 10 year old son, and a six year old son, sixth, fifth, and kindergarten. And, um, and, and, and it's one of the greatest joys of my life, but, but I'll tell you this, and I actually said this to Farrell at her ordination, none of us have any business leading God's people in the church if we can't first tend to our families. If I can't tend to Megan and my children and spend time with them and love them, then I don't have any business standing up here leading you guys. And so it's always a balance. But, but I do think that, that marriage and family life is where we find the unconditional love and support that we need. Um, the quality of, a, of your home and family life is one of the most important factors in determining your faith and your outlook in the world. And so I think that children who grow up in a home where they are loved and supported and cared for, um, they will come out and, and be stronger. And their, their, their natural language will be love. But unfortunately, not all children get to experience that. And every family has issues, every family has challenges, every family has drama. Your family is not unique, but real family is where you are loved and cared for and where you can always go and feel welcome no matter what. And then if things fall apart in your life, in your marriage, in your world, then your family will help pick you back up and help you move forward. And I've seen it happen time and time again. And for people that don't have a strong core family, then let the church be your family. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ be your family, because they're here. Next, is someone who believes that faith must be able to withstand the test of mind, heart, and circumstance, I believe in free will and the consequences of it. Frederick Bigner, who passed away last year, said, The greatest single argument against the existence of God is the presence of evil in the world. This argument is simple. If there is a God who is both good and all-powerful, then why, why do terrible things have to happen to good people? But then Beekner gives his answer when he says this, God wants us related to him in the same way that children are related to their parents. In other words, God wants us to love him. And if our love is to be spontaneous and real then we must be free to not love him with all of its grim consequences of human suffering. There is evil in this world, not because God is indifferent or powerless or absent, but because humans are free. And free we must be if we are to love freely. Free we must be if we are to be human. Love is not controlling. Out of love, God has given every single one of us the, the, the choice to decide how we're gonna live. And God hopes that we'll choose faith but the choice is ours to make. Lastly this morning, the final belief that I'll share with you is that I believe in life after death. You know, death will always be a great mystery to us on this side of it, but I believe that life goes on beyond the grave because of the words of Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And I'm convinced that somehow, We will again see loved ones that we have lost in in this world. We'll be reunited with them. And so I look forward to seeing my mother again. She's been gone over 17 years. I look forward to seeing friends that I've lost, and we've all lost friends. And what a wonderful day that will be. These are my core beliefs. These are the things upon which I'm trying to build my life, my ministry, my family, my friendships. This is my rock, my foundation. And so as we begin this new year, my question to you is, what's your list? What's on your list? Maybe it's the same, maybe it's a little bit different, but then what are you doing to align your life and your values and your resources with the things that you say are most important? So in the words of a poet, until the sun grows cold and the stars grow old and the leaves of the judgment book unfold, this, this is what I believe. Let's start over. Let's get back to the basics. Amen.